those of you that are joining us online now uh, as we live stream or later, I want to thank you for uh, joining us. And so we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And if you want to get all the background, I don't want to go into uh, all the background every week or it will take 15 minutes. But we've titled this series God's Dysfunctional People because the Corinthians were, they were a troubled, struggling group of people. They're very, very much like us in many ways. And uh, Paul ministered there for 18 months and then he left and they promptly went off the deep end. Uh, morally speaking, reminds me of the church today where people are just, yeah. It's like we're going to, Lord willing, where we'll be in Judges this Sunday, every man and woman did what was right in their own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. Your truth, my truth, everybody just does what they think is right. And uh, that's not just a 21st century thing. That's what was going on in Corinth as well. So Paul left, and uh, the prominent example we have is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where a man was uh, sexually intimate with his stepmother. Gross. I hope that's gross to you. Um, And Paul said, this doesn't even happen in the Gentile world, in the pagan world. You need to kick this guy out of the church and let him go figure it out out there in the world. And we'll just let his consequences discipline him so that he is not, you know, without Christ, but he eventually comes back. And it appears that there was some controversy regarding that. There were people in Corinth that were behind Paul and others that were not. There were interlopers that came into Corinth, uh, and they were teaching a variety of things. Some perhaps were what we might term Judaizers, which means they were saying, you need to obey the Old Testament law and become a Jew if you're going to become a Christian. Others were more oriented toward uh, Platonism. That is like... uh, as in the philosopher Plato, whose view on the physical was that it was, you know, temporal, ephemeral, which it is, passing away. And the only thing that mattered is the, uh, the mental, well, what he would call the mental perhaps, um, well, would have been termed as the the spiritual. And so what you do with your body doesn't matter, you know. Sexual immorality, oh, that doesn't matter. Just go do what your body feels like doing. You know, food is for the body, the body's for food. Sex is for the body, the body's for sex. Just go do what you want to do. But you can be a spiritual person in spite of that. And Paul said, no, 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 no. That's not the way this works. You are a holistic being. You are physical. You are mental, you are spiritual, but you're one entity, okay? So one for all and all for one. You can't just let your body just run out and get drunk, get high, sleep around, do whatever, and say, well, I'm just actually a spiritual person. No, if you're a spiritual person, then that means that you're going to exercise self-control, Um So in any event, there are a lot of philosophical uh, viewpoints that would enter in here. The Stoics are another, and uh, they would have advocated for strong uh, 
physical discipline, um, you know, keep the body under control and so forth. So there are all of these, these secular viewpoints that are entering in as we have in our world. And the Apostle Paul is trying to teach a Christian viewpoint. And caught in the middle of that are these Corinthians with these false teachers that are coming in and trying to lead them astray and collect money for what they're doing. So, you know, that's always the case. You are wise enough to realize that, right? That if you have a political group or a purported spiritual or religious teacher or whatever, and if they're constantly asking you for money, guess what it's about? Yeah, it's about the money. I don't constantly ask you for money. Do I ask you for money? I don't. We got to pay the bills around here. I'm not stupid. Okay. Um, but I just firmly believe that if the Lord has called us to be here and do what we're doing, then he's going to supply our needs and he's going to prompt you and urge you to be giving people. I shouldn't have to every week say, oh, we're going under. It's I don't know what we're going to do. And the world is, you know, it's the, the sky is falling. The sky is falling. But if you give 50 more dollars, it will keep the sky from falling quite so fast. Right? No, I just, yeah. I mean, I mentioned that either Sunday or last Wednesday. It's like every political group, every religion. I'm, I'm exhausted by it, frankly. I, I, am, I am exhausted by it. I don't care who it is. They use every political um, excuse and emergency as an opportunity. They're opportunists. They just want your money. I'm sorry. I, I don't believe in your cause if the only reason that your cause is important to you is to get money out of people. I just don't. Paul wasn't like that. He didn't even take money from the Corinthians. And they were rich, by the way. This would be like having a ministry in McKinney and Plano, okay, or uh, Frisco, okay? Listen, if you live in Frisco, you got money. Because the houses there are expensive and just driving up and down the tollway is expensive. You got to pay to drive on this freeway that is constantly full of traffic and traffic jams and whatever. I used to do Uber and Lyft and I was like, I can't imagine living up here. <laughs> it's like y'all are rich and y'all have serious traffic problems and you're paying to be in this traffic jam. Wow, that's tragic. I'm sorry for you. I'll just be in Garland where we're poor and, <laughs> you know, there are traffic jams also, but I'm not paying to be in a traffic jam on, you know, I-30 or 635 or whatever. So in any event, um, so chapter three, uh, 1 Corinthians. Um the Apostle Paul is alluding to the fact that these false teachers that were coming in had letters of recommendation that had been given to them. Hey, you need to listen to these people. They're very, very spiritual. 
And these were letters of recommendation from various um, recognized authorities, apparently. The Apostle Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we indeed, as some letters of recommendation to you or from you, you are our letter of recommendation written in our hearts, known and read by all people, revealing yourselves that you are a letter of Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence we have toward God through Christ. Not that we are adequate, right? Um, Not that we are sufficient, the ESV writes, um, in ourselves, so as to consider anything as uh, having come from ourselves, but our adequacy or our sufficiency is from God, who also made us adequate or sufficient as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So let's uh, back up a bit. Um, Our sufficiency. Are you good enough? Are you worthy? Do you have what it takes? Apart from Christ, none of us do. But in Christ, we do. And that is not just um, imputed. That is, we're going to treat you as such, even though you're not really there yet. But it is, yes, I'm going to treat you as though you're worthy, even though you're not worthy. But I am also going to literally make you worthy. That's important to note, okay? Imputed righteousness is very important for our understanding of justification. You are made righteous by God. You are considered righteous by God even before you are producing the righteousness of Christ, okay? But that is foreshadowing the reality that because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit, you will produce the righteousness of Christ. Listen, if you're in Christ, you will do better. You'll behave better. You'll think better. You'll speak better. You'll be a better person. At the end of chapter 2, Paul introduced the thought of being adequate or sufficient when he asked who is sufficient for these things or adequate for these things. In fact, um, His follow-up question, do we need a letter of recommendation to you or from you? And the statements about them being that letter, they are the letter, right? Um, Is his answer. Paul could just as well have said, your changed lives make it obvious that we are really from God and we are adequate. Christ is sufficient when presented and truly, truly and clearly. So I've been doing ministry for a long time. I've been in Garland, or will have been in Garland, as of November 15th of this year for 30 years. 30 exhausting years. 
And so I now look at multiple generations of people. So some of you have come along in the last year, two, three, five, whatever. I got people in this church that I was their youth minister. Craig and Rachel were 12 when I came here. They were the cutest little micro munchkins you've ever seen in your life. Rachel had glasses this big, right? Craig had this husky, squeaky voice. Listen to Shiloh talk and you'll understand Craig. They were the most wonderful, cutest, amazing kids in the world, okay? And they took Jesus seriously. I can't tell you that every kid that I've ministered to has. Some of them haven't survived, literally have passed away. Uh, Some of them have gone on and just lived other lives. I mean, we're going, you know, 30 years is a long time. So uh, Pastor Craig has been our youth minister and ministered to kids who are now adults and have kids. And some of them are following Jesus and some of them are not, right? I mean, I got one kid that was in Craig's youth group and I had the privilege of baptizing and he's on TikTok every week with his own little I don't know, what do you call it? A little show or something? And, you know, he's teaching the gospel and helping people. But I've got other people that are just like, well, no, I just think I'm an atheist now. And I'm sorry, man. I know I should be more sympathetic and compassionate. But when you've heard the truth, you've heard the truth. And you turn away from Jesus. I don't want to be mean, but. Like I've said before, be nice to atheists. This is the best world they're going to find ever. But I don't feel sorry for you. I don't agree with you. I don't feel for you. You've fallen away from the Lord and you're going to get the consequences. You're, you're going to eat the bitter fruit that you've planted. That's just the way it is. I've seen a lot of this over the years, right? Um. We're not adequate. We're not sufficient. God makes us adequate. And the reason we know we're doing what we're supposed to do is because those that receive the word produce good fruit. That's all there is to it. You want your kids to produce good fruit? Teach them the truth. That doesn't mean they'll receive it, right? You can't make them receive it. But you've got to continue to tell them the truth. Friends, we cannot go down the the bad direction that the culture is taking us, okay? It's it's the wrong direction. It's an anti-Christ culture. Um, And the fruit that is produced is, is bitter fruit, right? So to further paraphrase uh, or amplify Paul's statement here, where he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ, through God. These are his literal words. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency or adequacy comes from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. We could... uh, look at the previous statements and uh, we could say 
His follow-up question could be, do we need a letter of recommendation to you or from you, right? Um, Your changed lives make it obvious that we are really from God and we are adequate. So, I, I mean, I mentioned Craig and Rachel because they're prominent figures in our church, but their, their lives, their continued faithfulness to the Lord indicate that this ministry is from the Lord, okay? If you're paying attention, are you paying attention? Your life is the letter of recommendation, Right? You may feel like you're, you know, children, they're having fun. You may feel like you're wobbling at times, like you're doubting at times or whatever. But the reality is the truth of the gospel makes a change in people's lives and your changed lives if you're paying attention, if you're believing. That's evidence. That is evidence of adequacy. Um, let's further paraphrase uh, Paul's statement. He might say something like, we are confident in the gospel and our calling. And what has happened within you verifies the significance of our ministry. Our confidence is not self-confidence. It doesn't derive itself from our skill as preachers or our leadership qualities, our education, or even from our success. Our confidence... (laughs) Boy, they're loud upstairs. (laughs) Our confidence comes from God. We're not good enough on our own. We have what it takes to be ministers of the new covenant because Christ is working through us. I think that that would be a way of paraphrasing what Paul is saying. So if you preach and preach and preach and it makes no difference, then one of two things is happening. Either you're not preaching the gospel or people are not receiving the gospel, right? So the question is, and this was kind of my my tag to, I guess, uh, name what we're talking about tonight. Do you have what it takes? And you may say, man, I really don't feel like I do. Are you sufficient? Are you adequate? Do you live a Christ-like life? Why are all of us always saying, well, I'm just so miserable. I'm just such a bad example. Why? We don't have to be like that. It's just the temptations that are coming at us constantly and our willingness to listen to them, okay? Um, Do you seek to lead other people to be disciples of Jesus? Do you try to share your faith? Do you have a faith to share? Um, If not, why not? Is it because you feel unworthy? Do you feel like a fraud, a hypocrite? If you do try to lead people to Jesus, then where does your confidence come from? Whatever degree of confidence you may think you have. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. Jesus chose you to be successful as a bearer of the fruit and the light of the gospel. He said, I chose you that you would bear fruit and that your fruit would remain 
so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. That's John 15, 16. So you think, I chose to follow Jesus. I committed my life to the Lord. But what you really find is, if you are in Christ, this is you. This is Jesus. If you are in Christ, he chose you first. That's really important. Now, his choice didn't force your choice. You still have the right to choose. But I will say this. This is biblical. If Jesus did not choose you, you would not choose him. So, are you in Christ or not? That's what it amounts to. If you're in Christ, you're adequate. If you're in Christ, you're sufficient. If you're in Christ, you're worthy. I have a playlist on my phone. Don't we do everything on our phones? I mean, I've got like all of these um, different music services. I've got Apple Music and Spotify and what's the other one? All of these different ones, right? But uh, I have a, uh, a playlist that's just called Worthy. But it's not about me being worthy. It's about Christ making, excuse me, making me worthy. Because there are many times, here I am sitting in front of you. Here I am sitting in front of you online. Am I better than you? Am I worthy? No. No. But... If I have faith and you don't, I'm better off than you. If I've chosen to put my faith in Christ, he's made me worthy. And if you haven't, you're not made worthy, right? So there's some arrogance out there. There are people that think they're pretty good people. They don't need God. They can get by on their own. They're sufficient, self-sufficient. But pretty soon you figure out that that's a lie. Okay, but the beauty is no matter how far down the rabbit hole you've gone, if you will abide in Christ, just continue to hang on, then you are sufficient. You are adequate. Um, Jesus promised, truly, truly, double amen. In Greek, amen, amen. I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. What works did Jesus do? He healed people, rose people from the dead. My goodness. Cast out demons, healed the sick, raised the dead, taught the truth. He said, the works that I do and greater works than these will you do. Because I go to the Father. See, I am in Christ. Christ is with the Father. And if I'm abiding in him, if I'm seeking him, if I'm praying, he's going to imbue, anoint, clothe me with the Spirit and empower me to do the same things that he did. Why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we doing that? Because we're too worldly. Because we don't believe. 
because we're not remaining in Christ. Because we're running around listening to all of the lies that are in the world. Okay? <laughs> these kids. And greater works than these he will do because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What are we asking? What are we not asking? Are there people in your life that have gone astray? Are you doubting? Are you struggling? You got health issues, financial issues, relational issues? Are you praying? Do you believe? Listen, if we're in Christ and we pray, we can trust that he is going to answer our prayer. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You know, I've got people that I pray for all the time in this church. I'm the overseer in this church. Change my title all you want. It's the same title. Elder, bishop, overseer, pastor. So I pray for you. You know what I find when I pray? Things really do happen. You really do need to pray for each other. You really should ask me to pray for you and tell me what to pray for. Well, I don't know about all that. I'm just not going to bother him. You should ask Miss Mary to pray for you. Do you believe? What is all of this for? What is all of this for? Is this just so we can sit in this room and complain to each other for a while? So you can listen to me talk? No. It's important, right? The key is, are you in Christ? Apart from him, we can do nothing of eternal significance, nothing for the kingdom of God. We're called and recreated to bear spiritual fruit, friends. We really are. Jesus said, remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself or of itself, but must remain in the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. So he's talking about a, uh, a grapevine. So you have the, the stalk of the vine and you have a branch. The branch has to be connected to the stalk and then it will produce grapes. What happens if the branch is cut off? It produces nothing. It just dries up. And then they gather those up and they bundle them together and they burn them. That's what he said. Remain in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What can you do apart from Jesus? Oh, you can do a bunch of stuff, but it's frivolous, pointless. It has no eternal significance. But in Christ, you can bear fruit, much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire. And they are burned. If you remain in me, if you abide in me, if you stick to me... And my words remain in you. 
ask whatever you will, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. This is what the Apostle Paul was and was doing with the Corinthians. So God has a purpose, friends. There's a point to all of this. It's not pointless, right? It's not random. People that believe that all of this complexity and order came about as the result of randomness and sheer chance have far more faith than I do as a believer and a God that arranged it all. I'm sorry. Bless you, and I hope you have a decent life, but what you believe is utter nonsense. It doesn't matter how mad I get at God. And between you and I, I do get mad at God sometimes because what he does just doesn't make sense to me all the time. But I can't disbelieve in him. Why? Because that's just stupid. I'm sorry, it's just stupid. And at the risk of being pejorative, you're stupid if you believe there is no God. You're just stupid. I'm sorry. There is a God. Now, maybe it's difficult to understand why he does what he does, why he allows what he allows. But are you looking at the world around you and the order of it and the complexity of it the reason why we recognize disorder is because there is order if it was disorder all the time we wouldn't recognize disorder it would just be that's the way it is that's nonsense these people who think like that are full of nonsense i'm sorry not trying to be mean there's a purpose god has prepared the way for those whom he knows if you will hear his call Respond now. Know that he will sustain you. He will make sure that you have what it takes. You are made worthy, sufficient, adequate. Listen, if you're in Christ, you've got what it takes. Say, I've got what it takes. You can handle it. Whatever is facing you, you can handle it. If you're in Christ, just abide in him. Right? It's not an effort or an excuse to, you know, be legalistic and get you to obey a bunch more rules and so forth. That's the next uh, section we're going to get to here. I like this from Romans 8, 29 through 30. And we know that God caused, well, this is 8, 28 through 30. Actually, I should change that because that's wrong. It's 8, 28 through 30. There we go. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, say he foreknew me. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. See, people say predestination is about going to heaven. No, 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 no. Predestination is about you being predestined to become more like Jesus. And that prepares you for heaven. Those who were called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be, that is, Jesus might be, the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. 
Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified, that is made right. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's you. If you have chosen to have faith, if you are in Christ. So that's a lot of different scripture. Let's get back to our present. Uh, verse 3, excuse me, verse 6 of chapter 3. Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant? That is, God has made us sufficient or adequate or capable of being ministers, servants of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. So William Barclay writes this about this word sufficiency in Greek. He said, God was called El Shaddai. Say El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Right? El Shaddai. Amy Grant had a song called El Shaddai back in the 80s. Do you even know who Amy Grant is? I do. Yay, old people like me. <laughs> El Shaddai, El Shaddai, Air Come Con, Adonai. Okay, anyway. God was called El Shaddai, which is usually translated almighty. But sometimes the Jews explained El Shaddai to mean the sufficient one. It is the one who is all sufficient, who has made Paul sufficient for his task. Listen, man. If you're in Christ, you have got it all that it takes. Have you got what it takes? See, I'm looking at a lot of ladies in the room. Us men are the ones that are always worried about being impotent and insufficient. Because we're the ones that are called on to have the power, to have the strength, to rise up, to protect, to provide. I'm sure you feel those things too. But sufficiency, adequacy or I should say insufficiency or inadequacy. That's what men struggle against all the time. Ladies, you want to be who you're called to be? Be a helper. Empower. Make the men in your life feel like they have what it takes. If you're going to eviscerate them, you're going to make them feel impotent so that you can feel stronger. You're not making anybody stronger. If you push somebody down, you're not making yourself any better. That doesn't mean you're better. It means that you really don't feel like you're very strong. You don't feel like you have what it takes. Okay? You need those people in your life, those men in your life, to be sufficient. Now, if they're not following Jesus, I'm not saying prop them up by any means, right? But there's a real tendency in our world to put other people down in order to make you or your group appear to be stronger. As I posted on Facebook today or yesterday, appearances are deceiving, right? This is just inadequacy on our part, right? I don't feel strong. I don't feel sufficient. I don't feel like I have what it takes. And you seem to be elevating yourself above me, so I'm going to try to make you seem less, and somehow that will make me seem more. 
But that's not true. If you got to pull somebody down to make yourself better, you didn't make yourself better. You really didn't. So on the new covenant, right? He says he's made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. This is the covenant that was promised through Jeremiah and Ezekiel, wherein the commandments, that is the stipulations of the covenant. A covenant's a contract. If you do this, I will do this. You know what that is, okay? Anybody have a mortgage? Anybody have a car loan? Anybody married? It's a covenant. Those are contracts. So uh, I have a car loan. There's my truck. I can see it right through the doors right there. It's parked right there. I leased it for a while from Nissan, and I had a contract with them that said, hey, I'm going to take care of this vehicle, and I'm going to pay you this much every month, and you're going to let me drive it. They said, fine, we trust you. Then at the end of the lease, because of the current economic situation, normally a leased vehicle, it's not worth buying, okay? The value of it is typically at or less than the amount that you would owe if you were to buy it out of the lease. But because of the way things are right now, that truck is worth way more than it would have been worth previously. So I bought it. So I took a loan out through Bank of America. They had a decent rate at the time. There was another um, company, uh, was a, um, a loan company up the road here that had lower interest rates, but I wasn't. <laughs> they wanted my Social Security card. Anybody my age, do you still have your Social Security card? I don't. I have no idea what happened to that. I got my Social Security card when I was like 14. I'm 60. Do I know where my Social Security card is? No. Are you kidding me right now? You have to actually go to the Social Security office and sit there and go through all, to get your card. And that was so I could get 1% less interest. So... All that said, I got a loan through Bank of America. So I have agreed with Bank of America that I will pay these payments every month for this amount of time until the balance on the truck is paid off. And they bought the truck from Nissan and they let me do. But they have stipulations. The stipulation is I have to make the payments. If I don't make the payments, what's going to happen? <laughs> They're going to send some dude with a gun and a cigar and a tow truck. And he's going to say, yeah, I'm going to take your truck right now. And I'm going to say, no, you're not. Yes, I am. And I'm going to say, okay. And he's going to drag that thing on the back of a flatbed truck and haul it off. Because I have to keep the agreement. I have to keep the stipulations. I said I would pay this much every month. Okay? That's a contract. So I'm fixing to, I'm preparing to um, officiate a wedding in October uh, from a, uh, a former student in our youth ministry. 
Uh, they live like way off up in Grand Prairie now. And uh, in order to officiate a wedding, in case you're wanting me to officiate your wedding, I require premarital counseling. And if you don't take it, I don't do it. <laughs> it's a way for me not to do so many weddings. <laughs> No, it's actually my way of saying, I want you to know what you're getting into. Okay. Now, this couple has two kids already. They've been living together for quite a while. So it's not that they don't know how to live together. Okay. But I still am having them go through premarital counseling. That's part of my requirement. Okay. When I officiate the wedding, they will speak promises to each other. Okay, in the name of God, in the name of God, I take you, I take you to be my husband or my wife, right? To have and to hold, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, the death we part. This is my solemn vow. Wow, those are promises. That's what you said. When you join this church, and we have a bunch of people that are sitting waiting for me to do another service. We've got like three or four people that are ready to join the church right now. And uh, it's a covenant. We have a church covenant. And we say these things out loud. And they say amen to them. Unfortunately, people don't take it seriously. Because people today don't keep their promises. Amen. They just talk. People just talk. Well, what do I do? Do I say don't make promises? I, I still got to hold you to, the, to your word, okay? I would say better not to make a promise than to make a promise and not keep it. If you're going to make a promise, you should keep the promise because you're going to be held accountable on judgment day for it, okay? New covenant. Difference between the new covenant and the old covenant. The old covenant was external. So I mentioned this on Sunday. Uh, the Ten Commandments were the conditions, the, the, the primary, the fundamental conditions of the old covenant. You agree to these ten things. Then I will be your God, the Lord Almighty says, and you will be my people. What happens if you don't keep them? then you will not be my people and I will not be your God. And that's exactly what happened. New covenant, what's the difference? Jesus dies in advance for our failures. He knows we're not going to be able to keep it. He dies and bridges the gap. And then if we agree in faith to enter into that covenant, then he sends the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, to come into our heart and write the conditions on our heart so that we become what we were intended to become. In other words, if you accept Jesus, receive Jesus into your heart, he writes God's law on your heart. And the default for you is to do what's right. That's not to say you won't make mistakes. You won't fail at times. You won't stumble at times. 
but the Spirit of God writes those conditions on your heart. Now, I'm going to say this to you. If you are in Christ, you always know what's right. You really do. The only reason you doubt is because you're listening to other voices. Step back, sit back, and trust God. And you will know what right and wrong is. And you may still fail. You may still have uh, times where you rebel. But the default, what you will come back to again and again, is to do what's right. I fail all the time. But I can't keep doing it. I always come back to doing what I know is right. I can't live like that. I just can't. And it's not because of what other people think. It's because that's what I am. That's who I am. Who are you? You act in accordance with who you really are. That's your default. If you are in Christ, you're going to default to Christ. If you find yourself defaulting to sin again and again, you need to get saved. Not being mean, not being judgmental. If you're in Christ, you're going to fall back into his arms again and again and again. That's the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant. The old covenant is do this, do this, do this. And if you don't, then you're going to die. New covenant is you are this, you are this, you are this. Live it out. That's why you're sufficient. That's why you're adequate. That's why you've got what it takes. And that's why Paul could say what he said here. So I had all sorts of other things in my notes to say, but we're at eight o'clock now and the children are coming downstairs. So uh, we will join one another again next week at verse 7. All right? So God bless you guys. Thank you so much.